listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Paige Wilson. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by IBM. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Thanks for joining us for episode 239. What's going on, Mark? whole bunch of cool stuff going on, one of which is, do you want to guess who has the seventh most popular business podcast in Romania? So I will assume it's us because you're bringing it up on this show specifically, so am I right? Yeah, you're absolutely correct. So Oil & Gas This Week is the seventh most popular business show in Romania. So for all our Romania listeners, thank you because we've been fighting the number eight spot forever. Now we've moved <laughs> up to number seven. So number one, which I actually think is actually Fortune Magazine, we're gunning for you. Oh, really? Seriously, I think that's the number one podcast in Romania for business. So let's see if we get there. All right. We've got reviews, Mark. You want to read it? Sure. Yeah. Uh, new to the industry. Five stars. Hello, Mark and Paige. I'm about to graduate from the Colorado School of Mines. You say this is a podcast for busy oil and gas professionals, but I am constantly recommending to students and others looking to get in the industry. I appreciate what y'all do. I did a seven-month co-op with ExxonMobil from Jackson C. Klein on Apple Podcast. So Jackson, if you made it seven months with ExxonMobil, you can make it through the, and people, you know, I love ExxonMobil. They actually have a fantastic internship program. So, you know, you were very lucky to make that cut that, and also we're very lucky you gave us a review. So Jackson, appreciate the review. If you would like a shout out on the show, whether you did a co-op with ExxonMobil or not, it's very simple. Leave us a review. We'll be happy to read it. Not only that, it helps find the show if, you know, so just like the rest of our other shows, please leave a review. We love reading them and it helps us improve. It helps us improve. And like Paige said, it helps your peers find the good shows. Speaking of good shows, it's time to get the news stories. Let's do it. All right. So the first one is Saudi Aramco confirms 50 million cyber ransom demand. Yeah, this one's really interesting. So cyber has been in the news a lot for all industries and especially for our industry. You remember the Colonial Pipeline hack that was just about a month ago. This one's interesting because the bad guys actually did not hack Saudi Aramco. They hacked one of Saudi Aramco's partners, which is basically a third party, and they grabbed a whole bunch of financial data. And then what they did is they went back to Saudi Aramco, who naturally has the biggest checkbook, and said, hey, we'll give you this financial data back for $50 million in cryptocurrency. Saudi Aramco has a bit of a history of this sort of stuff happening to them. I actually know about a hack that happened. I don't want to say when. But it was so malicious that the malware actually made a fake copy of itself and actually put the real copy on the RAM for the video card and put the fake copy on the hard drive. So sorry, Ramco's techs kept getting rid of the hard drives. They kept getting rid of the malware and it would come back. And it took a U.S. government organization to go in and actually using some artificial intelligence that looked at packets in real time to find out the bad guy. So this isn't anything new. It's also, it's, and I'm not picking on, on Saudi Aramco. This happens to all the oil and gas industry. A lot of people don't know this, but Chevron gets attacked over 200,000 times a day. Yeah. That's crazy. Like an entire division. Just- yeah. And even us, I mean, we get attacked. We have intentional attacks to the point that people are mining our personal identifiable information like cell phone numbers and then sending emails to different members of the staff saying, hey, I need you to call me back. It's pretty sophisticated stuff, both from a technology point of view and from a social point of view. Yeah, but we're smarter than that. So We're, we're way smarter than that, bad guys. You might as well give up. <laughs> <laughs> but Saudi Aramco didn't pay the ransomware. They're still working on it. I got a feeling that if you're a bad player in the cyber world and you pick on 
a nationalized oil company like Saudi Aramco, that the repercussions are going to be pretty stiff. So <laughs> unlike what happened with Colonial when the U.S. government helped get most of the ransom money back, I would not be surprised if Saudi Aramco just takes the bad guys out. But this is a continuing story. It's something that's continued to plague our industry, and we'll stay on top of it. All right. So the next article is BHP said to seek an exit from the petroleum business. Yeah, this is going to be a bit of a theme in this week's show. This is really funny. So BHP, if you don't know, is one of the largest mining companies in the world. Maybe the largest. I actually think it is now the largest mining company. And they've dabbled in oil and gas for a long time. And unfortunately, they've never really got it figured out. It's not their core competency nor their core business. They exited a bunch of assets to BP, I guess, about three years ago. And so what's happening here is BHP. Don't confuse that with BP. BHP is saying that they want to exit and what's really happening, Paige, is number one, they can't make money at it. Right. Number two, because of all this ESG noise that's going on right now and this anti-oil and gas social pressure, they want to look like a good guy, which actually I don't blame them. And the smart thing they're doing is they want to sell their assets now while they're worth money. Right, yeah. By the time you listen to this, you know, WTI is hovering right around $71 a barrel. This is a great time for BHP to exit because we know the global demands is rising and its future is going to be really bright for the price of crude oil and natural gas. So this makes perfect sense to me. Basically, BHP is getting out of a business they never could make money at, and they're going to do it in a way to actually get some of their investment back. And then they're going to focus on what they're really good at, which is mining. All right. So the next article is Texas Upstream gains nearly 8,800 jobs. I almost want to say thank you, God. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> you know, we got hammered so hard. The world got hammered so hard during 2020. It was an epic black swan event like nobody's ever seen, and it decimated our industry. It wasn't the usual downturn where companies had to figure out what fat to trim. They literally had to figure out which arm and legs to cut off. And unfortunately, a lot of companies didn't make it through that. But for the ones that did, things are picking back up. Natural gas is the highest it's been in a very long time. Crude is steady at around $65, $70 a barrel. No matter what OPEC does, the demand's coming back. OPEC's actually been a bit moderate how it's looking at all this stuff, same way with Russia. And so here in Texas, like Paige said, we added, you know, pretty close to 9,000 new jobs the first half of this year, which is awesome. Now, I'll tell you something, people, that's not stopping. There's going to be a shortage of people and especially skilled labor in this industry for the next couple of years. And it's getting ready to come really hard. So the fact that they were hiring again in the industry is great. I've actually had several companies in Midland reach out to me just looking for bodies, literally somebody, anybody, they don't care what it is because they're so desperate to hire people. So this is all positive signs. Like I said, a month or so ago, we're getting toward the end of the tunnel. We can see the light. Well, now we just walked out of the tunnel. So long as we keep crude prices where they need to be, this will, the trend will continue. And now that growth and demand is coming back, the demand for employment in oil and gas is just get bigger and bigger and bigger. So this is good stuff. Definitely good stuff. Okay, so hedge funds won big on OPEC spat. Yeah, so everybody, all the investors, and if you don't know this, when you get, let's, we'll, we'll pick crude oil. When you get crude oil out of the ground, and then when it's turned into gasoline or plastics or whatever the final product is and the consumer buys it, in between those two points, there's about 40 different layers of profit. It's amazing the, the different people and institutions that take a little bit of risk and then they make profit or sometimes lose money. Money managers are, are no different. You know, the hedge funds are all over the differences in supply and demand. You know, a lot of contracts are being bought. It's actually really interesting to see that a lot of the contracts that we're talking about in this article were actually repurchasing on previously open short positions. And just a few of them, about 30% of them were opening on new 
long positions. So the money managers are making money in the trading like they always do. You know, WTI is just recently the highest that it's been since November 2014. That's a lot of opportunity for the traders. OPEC and Russia didn't agree on July 5th to agree on future oil supply. That also helped them. That uncertainty in the market is what traders depend upon. That uncertainty market is also what people like me hate to see because I don't trade. I don't day trade. I have long-term approaches on everything. Now, recently all slid backwards a little bit, but even then the hedge funds made money on that. So it's just, you know, if you know what you're doing, if you understand the longs and the shorts and hedging stuff and you have the enough capital, you can make money no matter what the market's doing. And this is a good article to show you how with the issues with OPEC and Russia, the hedge funds still made money. Okay, so the next one is Exxon Taps female CFO as first outsider to join the inner circle. I love this. And a lot of people are going to try to tie this into what happened with the activists that grabbed a board seat with ExxonMobil about two months ago. This has nothing to do with that. This is Exxon doing what Exxon does best. They need something. They need some talent. They go out and they find the best in the world. And they hire them. I don't care what it costs. I don't care what they have to do. Catherine is a long-term financial CFO. She's had a lot of big company experience. She's going to be one of the first women in the ranks of ExxonMobil in that senior vice president. So that's that layer right below the CEO. And then she'll reporting directly to Darren Woods, the CEO of ExxonMobil. The cool thing about this is she's actually be one of the younger members of that inner circle. And she's going to bring that younger blood and that newer way of doing things into the financial part of ExxonMobil. And if you don't know ExxonMobil's core competency, ExxonMobil, in my humble opinion, is the best oil and gas engineering and project management company on the planet. They do these large, complex, global projects better than anybody. But in order to do that, you have to have sound financials. And that ultimately leads up to the CFO. So when you're somebody like ExxonMobil who just depended on managing the finances for their projects to make money for their shareholders and to keep their employees employed, this was a fantastic hire. I actually am pretty surprised that she actually, they were able to poach her. You know, she's working Xerox, ADT, United Airlines. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, she has that background of large, complex financial projects. So, you know, good job, Exxon. You know, once again, when you need it, top talent, you found it. And and I'm not quite sure how you convinced Catherine to come work for you, but you did, which is just awesome. And this is going to help the company. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. The next one is Biden to issue new cybersecurity rules for energy infrastructure after the April hack. Hey, U.S. government, can you stay out of everybody's business and just let us run this? No kidding. We don't need more laws. We don't need more rules that may or may not help us in, in this battle against the bad guys in, in the, you know, the cyber world. What we need is support from government, not new rules and regulations. You know, our industry, the oil and gas industry, has some of the top cybersecurity experts, not only on payroll at Chevron and Exxon and Shell and Halliburton, but also our partners. Look at our sponsors, Hewitt Packard, IBM, Amazon. Those are some of the top IT security powerhouses in the world, and they're all partnered with the oil and gas industry. Don't need the U.S. government coming and tell us what to do. Let us worry about this. Now, one part of this I do agree with in that the pipelines in the U.S. are considered critical infrastructure. Right. They're there in case something really bad happens to make sure everybody can have fuel, can have food, that if for some reason we have a massive war, we can fuel our war machine. And without the pipelines, we're not able to move that those fuels, those hydrocarbons around the country. So pipelines have always been considered critical infrastructure. Back when I worked at Bell, they had full telecommunications service authority which means that if something bad happened like a hurricane or a war, they were right behind the hospitals to have services restored because they were that important. So I, I do agree that the security directives need to be applied to pipelines in a way that 
mimics the fact of how important they are to the government and to, and to run this country, especially when something bad happens. Well, they're so important that he took the permit away for the Keystone XL. Well, so. yeah, let's not even go down that route. But from a cybersecurity point of view, what we need is cybersecurity experts setting policy, not necessarily rules, not laws, but policy and also helping. I think it'd be really cool if the U.S. government, would, which also has some strong cybersecurity expertise in the Air Force and also in the FBI, if they would actually put together a coalition and help the pipeline operators instead of put another layer of legal on top of everything. And then quite frankly, if you read through the 397 pages of this brief, what you find out is that even though they want to make it, they want to pass some laws around critical infrastructure cybersecurity, they have yet to figure out how to enforce it. So if you can't make somebody do it, why are you even doing this? But you know, this is our current political administration. And by the way, people, I'm not picking on the political leanings of our current political administration. Our last political administration didn't really get cybersecurity either. So it's just something that I really think the government should stay out of. And I think the cybersecurity experts should be the ones figuring this stuff out. All right. So this next one's really neat. Neptune Energy uses gaming tech to digitize wells. I mean, this really is awesome. So Neptune Energy, which is an independent operator, mostly, I believe, in the North Sea area, I was doing something called digital twins. And if you're in the industry, you've heard this for years. It's basically a digital simulation of a static asset. So we'll take a rig. What they can do using a bunch of technologies, including things like LIDAR, 3D modeling, real-time data monitoring, they can recreate a rig within centimeters of every little part, valve, nut, bolt, pump, whatever, in the digital space. And the advantage there, of course, is Number one, if you want to train people, they get to train on this virtual rig without working on the real rig. You don't want somebody to make a mistake on the real rig. Yeah, no kidding. Number two, if you need to buy parts and pieces or change something or do some engineering or retrofitting or whatever, you can do it digitally and get it right before you actually go out to the site to do it in real life. And then you actually get to collaborate much easier. It's much easier to send one of your peers a digital representation of your rig than actually send the rig to one of your people, right? And so this has been going on in the oil and gas industry for a while, approaching this this digital twin. But what Neptune did is they tapped into 3D gaming technology, same stuff you probably see your kids playing with. And so they use that to render these rigs and these digital twins of their assets in a way that is just phenomenal. It literally looks like you're in the matrix. And it's the besides it looking good, it's much more accurate. So if you have somebody that's retrofitting a pump, this digital twin is so accurate that that's, it's within millimeters. So they can actually go ahead and weld the flanges and everything now on shore and bring it out to the rig and it fits perfectly. This is the future. And I'll tell you what, I give their CIO at Neptune, Kavish Porterer is his name, a big shout out. You know, he took a bit of a risk. He had to go to the rest of the company and go, look, we've never done this before. Nobody's ever done it, but I think it's important to the business. And in the process of showing the business how this digital twin can help them, both from a revenue point of view and from an HSE point of view, he has now brought IT to the business table. For years, IT has been trying to be brought to the business table on gas. And quite honestly, they don't usually understand the business. In this case, their, their CIO did understand the business, did understand a need they had, went out to this technology partner to put something together unique that is really awesome. And this will be replicated. You can see this more and more and more. And once again, it's just good for everybody. Okay, so the next article is Indigenous Group Backs Proposed Canada LNG Project. Interesting. It really is interesting. This, so this is about seven natural gas producers in Canada have gotten together with a indigenous group that I can't, I'm going to butcher the name. I think it's Nasagaz, Nas, Nasagaz Nation. I'm going to let you go over that. <laughs> Nasagaz Nation, I think. And I'm sorry, people, for butchering your name. I just, I just don't know how to pronounce it. I've never heard it pronounced before. But the indigenous tribe has gotten together and going, look, 
not only do we support this, but we know without a shadow of doubt after working with these producers that this is going to be beneficial to not only the tribe, but it's not going to harm the environment. And it's going to allow us to do things like build new schools for our kids, right. new hospitals for our people. And it's also going to add a little bit of money to everybody in the tribes. It, bring, uh, it brings prosperity. It brings prosperity, right? And so I think this is how things should be, right? Before you bring a big project, you look at all the stakeholders, especially the ones in the local community, you know, when... You and I talk about that page. We think of like Midland, Texas, but the local community in some rural area might be indigenous tribes. It, you know, it might be, you know, the local, you know, people that raise chickens or, or whatever. And if you get people together in a room, even though they may disagree, there's really usually a lot more they agree upon. In this case, the prosperity for the indigenous tribes. And you end up working it out to you get to the point where everybody's happy, where everybody's safe, where the investors can still make money, get a return on their investment, where the project can go ahead. That's exactly what happened here. And so, you know, in Canada, they've had a lot of pushback against any projects, especially LNG projects. But I'm telling you right now, that Canadian natural gas will end up in the world market somehow, somewhere. And would you rather enter the world market through an LNG project that both the producers and the local people and the government all come to agree upon? Yeah. 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 So this is just just a really good idea. And I like to see more of this sort of stuff. Instead and good of us, for Canada. Yeah. Instead of us butting heads, why don't we sit down at the negotiating table, figure out what everybody wants to see if we can come to agreement, which is exactly what happened here. And then the cool thing, Paige, is once they're finished with this, this should add about another $55 billion, That's with a B, billion worth of revenue to the local state right there. Awesome. Yeah. That's fantastic. All right. So Greenland ditches oil exploration <laughs> efforts after 50 years of failure. Yeah, this is just like my BHP story. So basically, Greenland is saying, we're going to stop looking for oil. The backstory is they've been looking for oil for 50 years and they can't find it. And it's not just Greenland can't find it. Cause what they, they did is they partnered with the major players, especially ExxonMobil and Shell. And you know, when ExxonMobil and Shell can't find hydrocarbons, they're probably not there. Or if they're there, they're not recoverable. It does kind of bother me that Greenland is spinning this as a environmental decision. Well, and then what's funny about that, Mark, it took me about 30 minutes to find this specific article because all of them were named something sounding malicious against the industry. Yeah. And this is not an environmental decision. This was this is a financial decision. This is, you know, the government with help from people like Shell and Exxon have spent a lot of money looking for recoverable hydrocarbons and they can't find it. And so when they decided to quit doing it for financial reasons, they jumped on the political bandwagon and said, oh, we're doing this for climate considerations. That's not true. And, and let me tell you, I'm okay with this, but just something this subtle, like somebody in the Greenland's government said, okay, let's spin this a little bit and say we're doing this for climate concerns. That very way of thinking is what's causing a rift between us yes. and the renewables and the right. environmentalists. I don't know another industry that is as environmentally concerned as we are, right? I literally have a degree in wildlife management. And so when you want to spin something like this, that's what starts the rift, the, the butting of heads. When you're saying that you're doing something for climate change and what you're really doing is because of financial reasons, just own it. Say you're doing it because you failed at it, because it's financial reasons. Don't bring in the climate conversation because that has nothing to do with this. They just don't want to look bad. because They don't want to look bad, but they're also- but I, this, but I understand that. Who wants to look bad? I get it. I really do get it. But you're part of the problem. When you want to spin something politically because it makes you look better, to Paige's point, and you pull in climate, that's wrong. If it really is a climate decision, then own it and say it. And you know, But if this is not a climate decision. So Greeland, I'm sorry that for 50 years you couldn't find hydrocarbons, and all of a sudden today you decided the climate was more important. Okay, so last article is Saudi-owned Motiva spends 6.6 billion petrochemical expansion. 
Yeah, so this is this is fascinating. If you've listened to oh, me, I said I said spence, I meant suspense. Yeah, I was <laughs> if you've listened to us for any length of time, you know how we always talk about the margins on petrochemicals. In fact, not that long ago, you know, probably five or six years ago, petrochemicals were super hot. They will always be hot. If you don't know what a petrochemical is, the cool thing about the hydrocarbon molecule is you can manipulate it and change it and make almost anything you want out of it. If you're a chemical engineer hydrocarbons are like the biggest Lego set you can possibly imagine, right? You could put those Legos together in so many different ways and you can make everything from, you know, soccer balls to lipstick to, you know, plastic sheeting to duct tape to all that comes from petrochemicals. And so what's happening is this is really interesting to me because of 2020 and because of some of the uh, environmental concerns, a lot of big companies have not been putting money in exploration. So, you know, typically, the nationalized oil companies, the super majors, the bigger independents, even the smaller independents, each year look forward, okay, how much oil do we need to produce five years from now? And then what reserves do we need to find to be able to make that production in five years? Well, because of what happened in 2020, nobody's looking out ahead. And so I think, and this is a perfect article that kind of supports that, is I think we're going to hit this slump where not enough companies look for future reserves, which means sometime in the near future, and I think about two years, we're not going to have enough reserves, which means, and the reserves are there, it's just, but nobody's found them. Nobody's made them economically viable. So what I think is going to happen is that there's going to be a shift in margins. I think the higher margin petrochemical is still going to be there, but I think the really high margins will actually be in exploration in a couple of years, which hasn't been that way in decades. And so this is another sign show that Saudi Aramco is saying, okay, we could put this $6.6 billion into this petrochemical plant to expand it, which is what we're planning to do because we know we'd get a return on that investment because petrochemicals have such good margins to them thinking, oh, I think exploration may actually have higher margins in the near future than petrochemicals. So we'll keep an eye on this. It's still that Motiva plant and Port Arthur is still one of the biggest petrochemical plants in the country. So it's not like it was small. They wanted to make it bigger. It's already large. They wanted to actually, if they would have pulled off this expansion, it would have been the largest petrochemical plant in the world. So we'll keep an eye on this. I think this is a trend to pay attention to. All right. That's it. That's it. Yeah. What about time, those shirts, Paige? Time we, to pimp out some shirts, we have man. to pimp out. <laughs> if you don't know what we're talking about, we caught a little bit of grief a while back from somebody said we talk about too much of the shirts and I guess if we talk about the shirts too much and you want us to change it, just write us a check for 70 grand and That'd we'll be quit sweet. talking about the shirts. Yeah. Paige Wilson, P-A-I-G-E. <laughs> so you know the deal? These are really cool shirts. They're instantly collectible. Sign up. If you don't win one, you can sign up every week. These shirts will be paramount to some cool stuff we're doing very soon. So go sign up. Get your IBM shirt. Weekly rig count. What All right. Doing, so in the United States, we've got a count of 491. So we're up seven. Canada, 149, down one. Internationally, 758, up eight. Perfect trend. Love it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Let's keep it going. Hey, Mark. What? Are you going to be at OTC? Yes. I think I'm going with you. And the rest of our crew. And our entire crew. Yeah. So what is OTC, Paige? Offshore Technology Conference. And what people don't know is that it's the largest offshore technology conference in the world but it's also the third largest trade show of any kind in the world. Right. It's and it's a, usually held in May, but because of the pandemic, it got moved. It, 
to August. Yeah. And this year I'm expecting it to be smaller than normal. It's going to be interesting to see the changes drawn by the pandemic, but OGGN will be there multiple facets. We were doing multiple podcasts. So if you're coming to OTC, hit me up on Twitter, Mark underscore LaCour. I'd love to actually meet you in person at OTC. I'd love to meet more of our listeners and then stay tuned because once we figure out what we're doing there, we'll let everybody know. Yeah, absolutely. I'm pretty excited. I'm excited to see people and, and go booth to booth. So, well, speaking of seeing people and going booth to booth, not that we have boosts, but you know, we launched our happy hour again. And in June, it was a bit of an experiment to see if people wanted to get together in person. And oh boy, do they want to get together <laughs> in person? So, audience, this is hilarious. I'll share it with you know the 1.8 million of y'all. So y'all keep this secret. But we have sold, I have sold these happy hours out until March of 2023, and I've not put them on the market at all. Yeah. People heard about it. Companies want to sponsor it. So we're going to have one every month here in Houston forever. Uh, The last Thursday of the month. Last Thursday of the month. At um, the Canon West Houston. And it's a little bit of money to go. I think it's 20 bucks, but we donate our profits to Redham to fight human sex trafficking. So it's a great time. It's always a good learning experience. I think- by the time you hear this, you'll miss this Thursday. But I think the next one is going to be sponsored by Verizon and Amazon. It's going to be on the future workforce. So it's pretty cool. So if you're in the Houston area toward the end of each month, let us know. Come meet us at the happy hour. I'd love to meet you in person. I'll even buy you a drink. <laughs> the drinks are free. I know. Don't tell people that. <laughs> it sounds better if I say I'll buy you a drink. <laughs> yeah. So join our LinkedIn company page. Follow us to know where we're going and where we're where we are now and we also have a group where everybody kind of contributes on linkedin as well and then of course you want to participate and volunteer we have the street team so thanks to all of our volunteers that spend the time to actually help us out we really appreciate all of you each and every one every single one of you and we appreciate you so much that even though we've been talking for it seems like seven years about swag for the street team what came in today Mm, stickers just for the street team yes right so only street team members will have these stickers gonna be instantly collectible i expect fights to fight to break out over these stickers but we're giving away just to our street team so if you want one of these stickers hard hat laptop stickers, i hope people don't throw hands because i will throw hands too (laughs) yeah people don't fight over stickers but if you want one just join the street team that's the easiest way to get one yeah and then, you know, the deal, we do our first Friday Q&A, although for some reason it's never been on the first Friday, has it? It probably was like five years In ago. In the beginning. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. It's just catchy. So we just still call it first Friday Q&A. And, and I want to give a shout out to Ryan Sanford for standing in for me last week. I'm okay. It's nothing life-threatening. It's cool. Ryan did do an excellent job. We yeah, got some did. good feedback from him. And I, I just think it's kind of cool to rotate around. And, and Paige is fine. Just, you know, we, we need somebody to fill in for a little bit. But if you want to enter a question, remember the goal is not to stump Paige and I. The goal is to help educate your peers. Go to either OGGN.com or OnlyGasThisWeek.com. Either way, submit your question. If we use your question, we'll give you a big shout out on the air. Last month, Paige, we had a lot of questions. I know. I saw that. Yeah. I was kind of prepared, but then, you know, stuff happens. Yeah. But yeah, thanks for all the kind words, too. Yeah, we actually got a lot of people reaching out to make sure you're okay, and which, yeah, which you are. Yeah, I'm alive. It's yeah. okay. And then, speaking of stuff that's okay, you want me to come speak? It's kind of okay. <laughs> <laughs> but myself, Michael Sullivan, our entire team of experts, you want us to come speak at your event. Looks like we're going to be doing some speaking, actually, at some of the big conferences. We just came back from Denver. We have some future speaking gigs. So if you want to, you want to know the details, reach out to me. I'd be happy to share it with you. It's actually, you know, we're getting toward the end of the year. So if you want a way to help maybe reward your employees, Boys, bring us in. Let us do a live podcast. People always love that. And it's just a good way to give something back to your people that worked hard for you during this year. Whew, a lot going on. Yeah. Also, if you want to, while you're on OGGN.com, check out our other shows. We've got a bunch of new ones coming out and we just launched, what, two of them? I'm losing track. 
I think we're up to 14. Yeah, we have. I don't know if I can name them anymore. <laughs> I can't. I lost it. But I tell you what, we have one that's really interesting. It's Low Carbon Solutions. That's going to launch the very end of this month. Actually, we're trying to launch it with our August happy hour. So, you know, welcome Amazon. Uh, and welcome Joe Batier. Welcome Joe Batier. Welcome back, Amazon, as yep. a sponsor for that show. We're looking forward to working with Amazon. We're looking forward to Joe knocking out the park. And we're looking forward to those great conversations around low carbon solutions. Yes, absolutely. Ready out here? Yeah. I'm hungry. All right, folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. And here's events on deck. Hey, everybody. It's Savannah from OGGN, and here are the events on deck for July 2021. This month, we have five events, but if you'd like the full list, you can click the link in the show notes to sign up for our events newsletter. We send it out every month, and it includes more info about the events I talk about here. We even include events that occur two months ahead of time, so if you're always interested in staying in the loop about oil and gas events, make sure to check that out. This month, OGGN will be hosting our monthly happy hour at the Cannon in Houston, Texas on July 29th. Our June happy hour was a hit, so if you weren't there for the June one, we hope to see you there this month at our July happy hour. At this event, you'll be able to meet some of OGGN's hosts and network with other oil and gas industry professionals, all while enjoying great food and drinks. Don't forget that it's on July 29th. Other than OGGN's events, we have two in-person and two online events. First up, we have our two in-person events. The first one being the Doug Permian and Eagle Ford Conference at the Fort Worth Convention Center from July 12th to July 14th. And the next in-person event is the SPE International Data Science Convention at the Norris Convention Center in Houston, Texas on July 8th. Next, we have our two online events. The first being a Cognite webinar titled, From Buzzwords to Boardrooms, What Energy Leaders Really Think About the Transition Towards True Sustainability. And that's on July 8th from 11.30 to 12.30. And lastly, we have the U.S.-Africa Energy Forum, which is online on July 12th. If you have any questions about these events or any of our shows, make sure to reach out to me through my email in the show notes. That's all for July. I hope you guys have a great month, and thanks for tuning in. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.